VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Tuesday, 3rd of January. Gosh, um, we were quite chipping. It sounded like a hostage situation. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like that, didn't it? it? Help. Um, Day no, 432. We were quite chirpy yesterday. Um, but I have to say, um, it was interesting that on public travelling in on the tube today, it was just a general mood of gloom because everybody was wet as well because we all got wet before we got on the train and you could see that not everyone was delighted to be going back to work. I, of course, maintained a spring in my step. I bet you did. Yeah, no, I did. <laughs> Couldn't wait to get here. But you could just sense that for a lot of people it was very much that. Oh, oh, back to work Tuesday. Yeah, the grind. Yeah. Well, maybe we did ourselves a favour by coming in yesterday, so we got used to it all again. Yeah, yeah, we have. We slipped one in. Yep. Right, uh, there's a lovely couple of emails here. This one from Maria says, uh, I was fascinated listening to your discussion of Godmersham Park. Uh, that was yesterday because Jill Hornby was in talking about uh, her novel of the same name. Maria says, I have a tenuous connection to it. My great aunt and uncle worked there for years. She as a housekeeper and he as an agricultural labourer. I remember visiting them during the 70s at their tied cottage on the estate. My understanding is that at that time, Godmersham was owned by the Cat family, who made oodles of money in the cigarette business. We all pronounced it with the emphasis on the first syllable, Happy New Year. So imagine that you're listening to a little guffined Gubbins podcast of two women shooting the breeze with uh, the occasional erudite guest. And? And along comes a reference uh, that keys into your family history yeah. like that. A slice of your own family story. I, I love that, actually. Yeah. 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 Thank you very much for that, Maria. So with the emphasis emphasis on the first syllable, that would be Godmersham. Godmersham. Yes. Yep. So I think I was saying it wrong because I was saying Godmersham Godmersham, but I think that's what I said because I thought it would be. But I think in the English language... Generally, is the emphasis not usually on the first syllable? Manchester. Bournemouth. Manchester. Portsmouth. I think you're right. Yeah. Winchester. That, no. that Winchester. Work. Winchester. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that seems to be a thing. Right, I mean, stay with us. It gets better. <laughs> well, I'm not sure that it will necessarily, but there's, there's so much of interest with language and the way it develops that there's never a, there's never almost never a dull moment don't you find in broadcasting quite often there'll be a name that comes up and you just have to read a lot of things on site and it is absolutely true that if you just go at it with some welly then you can usually usually manage to pull it off the one that has always done for me and it hasn't come up all that often to be fair is saskatchewan 
Oh, gosh, I'd struggle with that. But mercifully, it's rarely in the news. But there was a time when it was in, in the news for some reason. And I just used to see it coming towards me. It was like uh, Beecher's Brook in a steeplechase. Which I'm not you gonna, can't, you just can't, not going to make that. You can't remember the story. I can't, no. But I just remember tragedy. thinking that's just going to defeat me. So I think. Do you yeah. remember the Icelandic volcano? Oh, gosh. I mean, there was. There, so there were, there were newsreaders practicing yeah. for hours before going on air for it that. It became one. quite irritating because some of them got really good at it. Yeah. And I suspect were rather angry when it faded from the news. But that actually had quite an impact, that thing, because it, it made. People had to stay in places far longer than they wanted to because of the clouds of volcanic ash drifting around planet Earth. Well, I tell you what, there'll be some people who are stuck at their family retreats at the moment because of the rail strikes, won't there? They may be wishing that they were in Iceland with a volcano erupting all over them. Yes, there hasn't been much interest in my epic journey across Britain, which I so fondly regaled you with. Well, do you know what? There was a lovely bit in Godmersham Park, actually, where the young Anne Sharp, the governess mm. that the, the novel is all about, uh, she makes an observation to herself that after a particularly arduous journey in a carriage to Godmersham Park, she mustn't talk about it too much because talking about your journey is really boring. Well, I suppose, yes. And it, of course... And even then, in, in 1864, yeah. it was dull. No, it was 1807. It was earlier. Was it 1807? That's right. But obviously you'd arrived somewhere and you'd be so saddle sore after being bumped around in the back of a horse and carriage, you'd want to talk of nothing else. Yeah, and eyes would glaze over in exactly the same way that they do when you arrive and you're discussing the toll road. Yeah, the M6 toll. Yeah. yeah. The M6 toll is the source of... Well, I mean, people can't stop talking about it. By the way, it is marvellous. Glazing over now. No, except I I was one of the people who set off super early. Glazed... (laughs) On Christmas Eve to get up to the northwest of England. Yes. And because everyone had listened to the apocalyptic warnings given out by all broadcasters urging everyone to stay at home, there was no bugger on the road and we were there in absolutely record-breaking time. And you say no one's been in touch. (laughs) No one wants to hear this story. Or any of my... In fact, no one wants to hear anything I've got to say. Oh, don't be so stupid. Silly Jane Susan. Yeah, thank you. I did make some really award-winning spicy soup yesterday, which went down well at home. And every now and again, you've got to pat yourself on the back and say, you know, the the ingredients looked unpromising, but by God, it worked. Right. Okay. (laughs) Wendy says... Happy New Year to you both. Thank you, Wendy. I listened to your podcast today as I took down all our Christmas decorations here in Boston, Massachusetts. You normally keep me company on my on my commute home, but today is the last day of the Christmas New Year break before returning to work tomorrow. Now, I thought everybody in the United States went back to work after about three hours. I didn't realise they had a Christmas break. Do they? And obviously Wendy has. Well, obviously Wendy has. I can't answer that question. I mean, it's definitely not as big as Thanksgiving, but maybe maybe people do make the opportunity. But do people exchange gifts on Thanksgiving? No, I don't think so. It was just a big turkey dinner. What's the point? Oh, good Lord. Okay, well, you'll start something there. You'll get some responses now. The puff pastry discussion you had, this was yesterday, prompted me to write to you to let you know my Christmas Eve horror. Sausage rolls are an essential Christmas morning tradition for my family. We are originally from the UK. And you can imagine my panic when I couldn't find any packaged puff pastry while doing my Christmas grocery shop. I tried three stores before finally giving up. So homemade pastry it was. And yes, it was a total faff and very labour intensive, but it turned out to be deliciously scrumptious. But next year, I will be buying packaged puff pastry well in advance. Life is too short, says Wendy. Yes, I mean, if I were you, Wendy, 
I'd get out there now and get the puff pastry and shove it in the freezer. And then you'll know for sure that you won't have to go through that aforementioned faff next Christmas time. Uh, shall we save Katrina's lovely email yes, until after we've heard from the big name guest today? Yeah, who is? Who is Ramesh Ranganathan. Yeah. Uh, he was in talking to us about his new sitcom, which is called Romantic Getaway, which is on Sky Comedy and also on Now TV. Now, because you work harder than me, you actually watched some of Romantic Getaway. I did. There was an episode available to me, so I watched all of it. Yes. And? <laughs> and it's got an intriguing plot line because it's based around a couple who arrange a heist in order to pay for their very expensive IVF after their NHS available round of IVF. IVF has failed mm. so I love that premise mm-hmm. there's something a little bit uh, and I think it just would have cured itself in episodes two through to the end mm. there's something quite strange about seeing two very well-known comics it's Catherine Ryan isn't it yeah, and, and Ramesh, Ramesh yeah. uh, together acting as a couple are they not I, married in I real know life both of their work very you know they're big characters mm. the two of them and I did see on another chat show and unfortunately we we failed to get this particular nugget of detail out of Ramesh in the interview that you're just about to hear uh, where he said that Catherine Ryan had said at the beginning of the shoot uh, that he, that she didn't think that they were the kind of couple who had hold hands or even touch so during the whole series they're a married couple uh, trying to embark on having a family together who never touch each other and I thought actually that's it that that's what slightly kind of threw me in episode one. Okay, well, let's hear our chat with Ramesh Ranganathan. Uh, Fee's already bigged it up by pointing to quite a funny bit. We didn't get out of him, but never mind. Um, Here is Ramesh, and we started the chat um, with me, actually. I don't know why I do this. uh, Reminiscing about the last time we'd met. Hi, Ramesh. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I think think the last time I saw you, it's no reason why you'd remember this, was at the Woman's Hour Christmas party recording. Um, yeah. And you were with your mum? I remember being furious that I'd only been invited on with her. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, that sounds like a great story. Actually. It was like a to, fabulous like about that. occasion. <laughs> <laughs> right. Ramesh, uh, lovely to have you on the programme. And I think we just need to, we need to nail down the premise of the romantic getaway because it doesn't sound to me like the normal pattern of a romantic comedy. Um, it's certainly not the normal premise, is it, this? No. So um, basically the premise in a nutshell is Catherine Ryan and I are playing a couple who are, are trying to have a baby through IVF and we can't afford the next round. So we decide to pay for that by stealing the money from our place of work. So the first episode is is us committing the crime. And then the series is basically the fallout from all of that, both in regards to their journey towards trying to have a child and also trying to get away with stealing this money from their work and is it is it a first actually to attempt to uh, because infertility is absolutely no joke IVF is a pretty tough thing to go through is it the first time that people have tried to uh, lighten this up a little bit and make it a subject for comedy I don't think it's the first time it's been done. But sort of what the question you've asked there kind of hits the nail on the head in terms of, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were writing a comedy, but at the same time, you don't want to be too flippant about the whole thing with IVF. So, you know, the, the, the sort of ongoing battle we had was to make sure that we got across kind of the, the gravity and the desperation and the, the heartache that comes along with, with with trying to do that and how challenging that could be for people, but also, you know, fit it alongside the show. And we, and we feel like we've achieved the balance. I mean, it's up to the viewers to decide whether we've managed to do that. But it is something we thought, we didn't take that lightly. We thought very carefully about how we're going to do that. Presumably there can't be two more opposite ends of the spectrum from doing a kind of spontaneous stand-up in front of a live audience to doing what is possibly 
I don't know, endless retakes. Maybe you always nail it in one in an acting scenario. So did you know that you'd be able to do it before you started? No, I mean, I've done I've done some acting. Um, I've, I've done some stuff in a BBC series called Avoidance that I wrote. But the truth is, I wasn't sure about my act. You're not I wasn't sure about my acting. I sort of felt like it would be something I'd enjoy doing and I'd be all right at. But my wife used to be a drama teacher and I was sort of talking to her about how best to prepare for turning on the day's acting. But, you know, one of the points she made to me was that because I'd written it, you do a lot of the prep that an actor would do in order to get ready. You know, you get inside the character, you try and figure out, do you know the character's motivations? Do you know what they would do in each and every scenario? And just by dint of actually having written it and thought about that character in depth, you kind of automatically do a lot of the prep. But currently I would describe myself as fine, but I I, I, um, I hope to get better. I mean, oh, I'm a be work silly. in progress. No, you're brilliant. You're absolutely brilliant. You seem to be brilliant at everything you turn your hand to doing, Ramesh. What is your area uh, where you don't shine? Two things. Anything that requires any kind of level of physical coordination, uh, sport-wise, I'm absolutely terrible at. I would describe myself as subhuman with regards to that. And then also, uh, I would say that um, my level of competence at just being in and around the home is, is I would say, marriage-testingly bad. So, yeah, I, uh, that's very kind of you to say, but my, my wife would have a very contrasting account uh, in terms of my levels of competence, I would say. Well, you couldn't do anything with a flat battery in a, in a car or anything like that, is that what you're saying? No, I would abandon the car and look to, for a dealership. Probably, do you know I mean, I, 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 I don't, uh, I well, can't just go and buy a new car. Well, I'd ask to borrow one. Certainly, I, I, I'm not, I'm not that flush that I would just buy a new car in the moment. But I, I would certainly look to. Get, I, I just, I mean, I do spend a lot of my life watching YouTube videos of an expert showing you how to do something very, very simple. Do you know what I mean? Like, you'll often find me in my house, just my phone held up. So, so you need to fix this tap. Well, let's start. And I like, you know, I watch, I, I, I'm often watching those because I've got no instincts, I've got no common sense when it comes to anything like that. I'm very familiar with those videos, as Fee will testify, because often the blokes are wearing <laughs> polo shirts and they've got very, very nice upper arms. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm quite keen on them. Um, actually, in yeah. avoidance, um, it was a, a BBC show, wasn't it, about a, a, a yeah. man, a rather hapless man whose marriage has fallen apart, and I mean, he was a proper loser, wasn't he? And his relationship with his young son was. It was both beautiful and sometimes comic and often actually pretty tragic. Did you enjoy doing that? Yeah, well, I mean, that character was based on a character flaw that I have, which is basically this kind of uh, inbuilt fear of confrontation, this desire to be a people pleaser, this kind of just not knowing how to handle social situations where you have to be kind of assertive. So we thought, how do we make him change? And the most obvious way is that his partner splits up and he has to change for the sake of his son. I, I, I found it really fun to play because I'm naturally kind of like that. You know, having somebody really struggle with how to complain about food he's received in a restaurant is something I can relate to like very well. But what I did find is when that show came out, a lot of people said that they related to my character in ways that they didn't want to. Do you know what I mean? So you'd be watching it going, oh, that's like me, but I didn't want to be told that. <laughs> uh, so um, it was really good fun. And then a lot of the stuff with his son is, we kind of sat down in the writer's room and talked about sort of parental foibles and stuff like that. And I remember, like, you know, there's one episode where Jonathan's son is auditioning for Cats, the musical, and he's worried about the social ramifications of doing that. And that came from that came from a thing that I had where, like, you know, that when you're a parent, you want your kids to be individuals, but you're scared that them being individuals will, will mark them out for bullying by the other kids at school. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, it's uh, 
thing that a lot of parents contend with, I think. So yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was it was a it was a fun thing to write and be in. Uh, can we just talk a tiny bit about your teaching? Because you you seem to speak very fondly about your time as a maths teacher. Uh, if you could wave a magic wand and you were education secretary for a day and you had an unlimited budget, what bit of education would you change first to make it better? Well, I mean, I don't know if unlimited funding would make this happen, but certainly my experience as a teacher, I felt like what was being delivered wasn't keeping up to speed with what was required, you know. And, and you know, one of the things that we were often told as a teacher is that you're preparing kids for jobs that don't yet exist, you know. And, and, and also, one of, you know, I haven't taught for 12, 13 years, but one of the things that I was aware of was that there were kids that were not being then their needs were not being met by the courses and classes that were being offered but they still had something to offer and you know that might be more vocational things that might be more practical things it might be things in different areas I felt like the education that we were delivering was was slightly too slow to to meet the very varying needs of children and so you know as we get to know more and more about what kids need and how different children are this sort of one size fits all approach to education, I don't think is, is, is good enough. And I know that we've, we've moved beyond that and it's a very difficult thing to tackle, but that'd probably be what my channel my energies into. Mm, that's such a good point, isn't it? Because you were a maths teacher, weren't you? And actually uh, just, you know, the, the kids who I've known, including my own children, uh, just constantly struggle with the fact that they have to learn so much in maths that actually a calculator, AI, everything on a computer will just automatically do for them throughout the rest of their life. They can't really see why they're learning so much stuff that one button can simply change. You know, you teach kids that found maths really challenging and there's part of you that thinks that why am I teaching them to add fractions with different denominators together when they're never, ever going to do this ever again or need to? And, you know, the the answer, because it's in the exam, is just not a good enough answer. Do you know what I mean? And, and there's a, there's a, like an argument that actually what you should be doing is focusing on stuff they're actually going to need. You know, there's so many people, when I used to do parents' evenings, you come across so many parents who just have developed a complete and utter fear of the subject or anything to do with maths. They're just going rubbish at this and da-da-da. And I think that's partly a symptom of what you're talking about, which is kind of, forcing a, a like a single curriculum t- towards people regardless of their levels of interest and ability and I think that you know a more variated kind of curriculum would be good and they do they, they, they to be fair that is happening and look obviously I'm speak I'm slightly out of date well very out of date because I haven't taught in over a decade but certainly that was my kind of frustration with it was that you want to be teaching kids stuff that they need and also trying to find a way to engage them and sort of teaching them stuff that they're never they can never see where they're ever going to use and also have no interest in it's a difficult one to it's a difficult one to contend with i think did did your pupils find you funny uh some of them did i think i mean i was pretty much how i was in the classroom is pretty much how i am with you now i mean i never really raised my voice or anything like that i was pretty I was a pretty chilled teacher, I would say. But um... I, w- I would do whatever you asked me to do now, Jane, wouldn't you? I'd be fully attentive, <laughs> sir. Uh, no, I'd, I'd still see myself as the prat at the back, I'm afraid. So I think right, 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 right. But can you remember the faces of the pupils that really did give you a hard time? There must have been one uh, that is... There, probably... were, there, there were loads, there were loads. But, you know, the, 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 the thing was, is like, I often found that one of the things I felt was... You know, and I'm saying this as somebody that had, I had kids that I, I couldn't, you know, would really give me a hard time. And 
um, I went and taught at a school that had just come out of special measures and I had a, a particular group, like a bottom set year nine, who were, you know, difficult. It would take me 20 minutes to get them sat down and ready to do anything, you know, certainly at the beginning of my time with them. But the, the truth is, is that um, if you looked into their backstories, you completely understand where they're coming from. And, and I think that one of the things that I found was that if a kid believes that you've got their best interests at heart, they will pretty much take any kind of punishment, admonishment or whatever from you if they believe that you like them and you want the best for them. I think that a lot of the problems stem from whether when a kid doesn't trust you or they don't think that you want the best for them. That's when you start to get real problems that you can't get around. Whereas even if a kid gives you hassle, if you have a frank discussion with them about why it is you want them to sit down and do this thing, if they believe that if they believe that you've got your best interests at heart, which hopefully you do, yeah, then they will kind of accept that, you know. And I, and I found that was uh, just having a bit of empathy. I'm not saying it's as easy and as simple as that. I'm not saying I've cracked behaviour management teachers, but I definitely felt like that helped me, you know, definitely helped. Me. Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com style. Can you um, tell the difference between people like you who've made successful careers in comedy and have written successful comedy dramas as well, and those people in comedy who've who've never who do that but have never worked in the real world as you have? Because you must be able to bring your real life experience to your your current way of earning a living. The thing with comedy is you're sort of, especially when you're writing comedy. You know, they always, the old the old uh, saying is write what you know, and you know I. I wrote a sitcom years ago about uh, a, a guy whose dad passes away and he ends up having to take over his pub unwillingly. And that happened to me. My dad passed away around the pub and we had to take it over. And so immediately you've got loads of stories to plunder. And similar with avoidance, I had loads of parenting things to, to look at. And, and obviously there's loads of relationship things that we looked into. I haven't committed a, a half a million pounds no. uh, robbery. To, yeah. to, to, Just to make that into. clear. Yeah. Um, but um I think that there's two things that I kind of found from being a teacher is one, there is no comedy club or tour venue that can be as frightening as trying to teach year nine on a Friday period five. There's absolutely no way that compares. And then the other thing is, I just think it gives you, well, I tell you what it's given me. I, 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 it's just given me an appreciation for, you know, the fact that I make my living from doing comedy is something that I don't think I'll ever take for granted. You know, it's, uh, there is no level of stress that I've had in comedy that's even come close to the level of stress that I experienced as a teacher, partly because of the workload, but also because you're so invested in, in those children that you're teaching. Do you know what I mean? And like, it was, it was a really hard, it was a really rewarding, but hard job. But if I have a bad day doing comedy, 
it's fine. It'll probably be all right. Nobody's nobody's future's hinging on it apart from mine, so I can sort of live with that. Uh, when you started out in comedy, did you imagine that you'd also make a star of your mum? No, and uh, there's a certain amount of regret involved there. You know what I mean? Um, no, I, it was a really, it was a, it was a crazy one because. I did this show eight years ago called Asian Provocateur, which was this, the, the whole premise of it was that I was getting in touch with my Sri Lankan heritage and my Tamil heritage. And, you know, because I've, I was born over here and I've had no real exposure to it. And so when we did, the BBC wanted like a little kind of taster. And so we did a thing where my mum, the idea was that my mum would tell me what cultural experiences to, you know, a cultural crash course in my heritage. And just, I, I had always thought my mum was funny, but loads of people are funny. Do you know what I mean? Whether they're going to be funny on TV or in that kind of context is a different thing. But she just was like so hilarious. Like she just is, you know, how she is on camera is how she is all the time. And so when the show came out, you know, it went from putting in the taster to putting her in the main series. And then she just became this breakout star. And, you know, and like it got to, I realised it was a problem when I started working up my new tour. And people just started shouting, where's your mum? Where's your mum? Do you know what I mean? And and now she's just, you know, she just, I mean, I'm my mum's been through some hard times. So to see her enjoying this is, is really good. But what I would say to you is she really does enjoy it. I mean, you know, yeah. some people are reluctant celebrities. I would say my mum could not be polar opposite to that. Has it changed her? Has it changed her, Ramesh? Uh, she's still the same, but what I would say is she's, she, she'll say her surname as much as possible when out in public. Do you know what I mean? I, it reminds me of when I was doing the Ranganation, actually. You know, she, she, she loves, she absolutely loves getting recognised. She never arrives anywhere and thinks, I hope I should maintain a low profile. That's absolutely not my mum at all. And does that ever, I, mean, I don't suppose you can really admit to it, but, but does it ever slightly annoy you that you've got to share the limelight with a person who, let's face it, we all, you know, it's part of growing up, isn't it? You want your own space. Well, you know, my mum is, uh, she's very, uh, she's very gracious about it. And she's, she'll always say, if you want me there, I'll be there. And and she's incredibly supportive. And even from when I first started doing, like, you know, my mum's one of my heroes, man. She like, she, my dad put her through a hard time and, you know, we fell on hard times. And my mum sort of single-handedly raised us for a long time, for a long period of our childhood. And she went through a, a really a really hard period of her life and so I owe her everything you know so so for her to be you know I don't think any of us would have ever dreamed that my, my mom would become some sort of celebrity I don't think that was ever or, or if you would asked me to guess a million different options for what was going to happen in our lives I don't think that would have been one of them so so the answer question is I, I I love seeing her enjoy it would I like her to be a little less popular yeah sure <laughs> you know I mean? uh, have other comedians tried to involve their own mothers yeah, I mean, like Russell Howard's done it. I know Jack Whitehall does stuff oh, with his yeah. dad. And I, and, Actually, it's, and they're I think, relentless. Yeah, and I think um, I think Adam Buxton years ago did a thing uh, with his dad. But um, uh, but the difference is is that their parents don't want to be involved in everything. Whereas, like, you know, when I recently had a stand-up special, my mum said, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, it's a stand-up special. What is there for you to do? It's a solo show. I don't understand why you ask about what your involvement is going to be. So uh, she has she has a direct expectation that regardless of the show, she is going to have some sort of involvement. Mm. Uh, this might be uh, one of those terrible, I've read Wikipedia and someone's put something daft on it, but here we go. Do you really have a tattoo of the Albanian flag? Yeah, I can show, I can show it to you here. here okay. You uh, Do you want to talk us through your tattoos? Sure. Well, um, I've got I've got a lot of hip hop tattoos of just yeah. rappers and rap groups that I like. The Albania tattoo is um, 
I went to Albania. I do a travel show called Misadventures of Romashanganathan, and um, I went to Albania, and they have all these bunkers from the war that they've that they've still got there, um, that they've kept and used for other things. And one of them that we visited was uh, has now been used as an art gallery for this um, this guy, this ex-con that's kind of turned his life around and become a, a, a an artist and and tattoo artist. And he said, um, "Do you want to do you want a tattoo?" So I said, "Yeah, all right." So I'd had such a nice time in Albania. I just got the Albanian flag on. But I'll tell you what did happen is that I was then in a restaurant because I, I thought to myself, well, if I don't like it, I'll just get it covered up or get something else done. But then after the show went out, I kept getting asked about just people, random people can't go, did you really get the Albanian tattoo? And then they'd ask to see it. And once I was in a restaurant with my family and the waiter said at the end of the meal, my manager would like to have a, a chat with you. And I said, okay. The manager came over and he said, um, I saw your show in Albania. Um, can I just ask, do you have the Albanian flag tattooed in your arm? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, do you mind if I see it? So I went, yeah. So I showed him the tattoo and he said, I'm Albanian. You never have to pay for anything in this restaurant ever again, which, which was very nice. But it also meant I could never go back. I can't go back there and just go, no. I'll be paying with my arm. Thank you very much. You <laughs> know what I mean? So... So I've not been back, but but I was very grateful to get a free mail. Yeah, that's no, that's nice. That's nice. And you, you're right. You could just go there for Christmas, couldn't you? Or yeah. you could try having one of those Nando black cards tattooed on the other arm and see if it works in the same way. <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad shout. That is Ramesh Ranganathan and we fee there with a suggestion about a, a black Nando's card. Um, do they exist? I know they were rumoured to exist. Do, do they oh, exist? I think they very much they? existed. I, I don't know not... whether they still do, but there was a while when... Uh, it's, it, it was very, very high on a celebrity's list of wannabes. Yeah. Because you could, you could pitch up at a Nando's and if you had the black card, whoever you were with, you mm. and your entourage, uh, you had all your peri-peri for free. Really? So it was a big thing. That was yeah. well, well worth having then. We don't hear quite so much about going out for a cheeky Nando's as you used to. When we were doing our theatrical tour... Yes. We would quite often warm up for a show with a little backstage Nando delivery. We enjoyed it very much. We always had exactly the same thing. I had a chicken breast pizza medium. And what did you have? Well, I had the chicken butterfly with two sides. Mm. Usually the... Spicy rice. No, the macho peas. Oh, yeah. And I love Nando's mashed potato. (laughs) I do. I really love it. Do you? Yep. Just the right amount. Just the right amount of salt. Absolutely beautiful. Mm. If you could have something tattooed on you that acted... Well, I have, as a I've kind got of... the BBC crest on my buttocks, which is a bit of a challenge these days, to be honest. Does it say from one buttock to the next, nature shall speak peace under nation? <laughs> is, that what, is that what the... I've forgotten it already. It I can't see there. That's the problem. Um... <laughs> she's not got two buttocks. She's got two nations. <laughs> They're speaking peacefully to each other for now. Uh, uh... <laughs> I would not have a tattoo. I really would wouldn't. you never? No, I could. I could. You can either be the sort of person who can carry that off, or you're, or you're me. You know, it's so clear that I'm not. Well, I was just amazed that that's a true story from Ramesh. You know, he he had the Albanian flag tattooed. It lasts forever, mate. I know, forever and ever and ever. It's a weird one, isn't it? I I wouldn't do. That. I'm always. I mean, that's a bizarre um, anecdote to have a, a flag of a country other than your own tattooed on your person. But I'm always slightly perplexed by people who name their children after countries. Like, that's a very odd thing to do. You do get India's floating about, and I, I've I've known a China. Yeah, it's just odd. Why would you do that? Have you ever known a Zimbabwe? Not yet, but I mean, and there are other, I don't know, it just seems odd. It just, it just, it's not, I don't know. Why you'd attach the name of a superpower to your newborn baby, I don't know. Mm. 
Anyway, um, I'll have that out with Peru when I see you later. <laughs> right. <laughs> boom, boom. <laughs> right. Oh. Shall we do this lovely one yes. from Katrina, uh, who says, Happy New Year. You asked whether other countries produce foreign language dramas about notable British figures. And this was because you're obsessed with Marie Antoinette. And I keep asking everybody I meet, has anybody been watching No one has. Now, normally I'm a really reluctant binger for reasons I can't put my finger on. I've just been lost in the world of Marie Antoinette available on iPlayer. Um, eight wonderful episodes, wonderful costumes, lots of prancing around. Uh, and it's all in English. You'd have to trouble yourself with any of that French nonsense. But it did make me think, as we were discussing yesterday, how angry the French must be. That I mean, this is partly funded by a French channel, but it's odd that they just have to give in and let it all be in English. It is weird. It's but weird. Yeah. we threw out the question, are other people doing the same thing to our heritage? Mm. So Katrina has written in to say, Germany went one better and in an odd blend of creator and content, named its longest running TV series, 29 nine years and counting after a living British author. The 160 plus TV movies and the Rosamund Pilcher series are based on her books and filmed in Cornwall but are made in German with German actors. The series occupies a similar easy viewing Sunday TV slot like Call the Midwife. Despite doing a German degree I remain completely oblivious of Rosamund's legendary status until a few years ago when our German au pair mentioned that visiting Rosamund's Cornwall was obviously on her bucket list. I was confused, as for some reason I'd always thought Rosamund Pilcher was Irish. Our au pair was confused, as she had assumed that the author was also the face of all things Cornwall within the UK. It turns out there's a whole micro-industry around this series. Germans form about 40% of Cornwall's international tourists, and numerous tours are offered to various filming locations. As for our au pair, she finally made it to Cornwall in the summer, driving all the way from Germany with her husband and dog, also apparently a fan of the TV series. Sadly, they tested positive oh. for COVID on arrival, so spent their week looking at stunning beaches through either their cottage or their car windows, oddly similar to all of those years of seeing Cornwall through their TV screen. Katrina, that is fabulous. Uh, thank you for that nugget, something I knew absolutely nothing about, and I love the just element of tragedy <laughs> They schlepped all the way over from Germany to pay tribute, to make that pilgrimage, and then they get the flipping COVID and can't do anything and can't go anywhere. isn't that just bizarre? 29 years of Rosamund's Cornwall. I know. I can picture my late grandmother reading a Rosamund Pilcher, um, but I, I don't want to offend fans of Rosamund Pilcher. I thought they were sort of slightly sudsy romantic fiction. Well, a bit more to them than that? I don't know. I think they're romantic fiction. I think whether or not they're sudsy is probably in the eye of the reader oh, or the beholder. I enjoy a bit of sud. Um, and that's just fascinating. I wonder what... So if you have any more from that sort of um, deep mine of uh, TV twaddle, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, love those kind of things. It makes us all feel a little bit connected, doesn't it, all around the world in a rather obscure way. Oh, we're very connected. And don't worry, one day you'll be big in an obscure place and people will come to London to visit Jane's East West Kensington. <laughs> and I think you may already be big in Peru. You just don't know it. That's possible. You too can tread the familiar path between my front door and Lidl's bread counter. <laughs> I still swear by their low GI... <laughs> their low GI loaf. I really do. Do you? I, well, I mean, you're looking very good on it. <laughs> God. We've had soup, we've had bread, we've had the toll road. Good night, everybody. Bye. Sleep tight. <laughs> mm. 
You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah, embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.